This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of our Smarter Lawcast podcast. My name is Tony McVean, and I'm the managing partner at Hall & Wilcox Lawyers. To celebrate International Women's Day, I'm delighted today to be joined by four of my colleagues who are current and future leaders here at Hall & Wilcox to discuss women working in the legal sector, what's changed and what still needs to change. Welcome to Emma Woolley, Natalie Bannister, Barbara Casado and Anne Watson. I'd like to start by getting each of you to introduce yourselves. Tony, I'll go first. It's Emma Woolley. I'm a partner here at Hall & Wilcox and I've been with Hall & Wilcox for over 18 years. I'm currently the chair of partners and I also sit and practice in our private client area. Over to you, Natalie. Thanks, Emma. Um, I am also a partner at Hall & Wilcox. I'm a real estate lawyer and I have a role at the firm sort of overseeing our entire commercial practice nationally. I am a mother of five in a blended family and non-nut to three beautiful little babies. I'm Barbara Casado. I'm special counsel in the statutory insurance New South Wales team. I've been with the firm with for eight years and I'm a member of the inaugural board of emerging leaders. At home I am mother to three children, three girls. Um, well, I'm Anne Watson. I'm a special counsel in the commercial dispute resolution team up in Brisbane. Um, I'm also a member of the inaugural board of emerging leaders and previously spent eight years on the Queensland Law Society's equity and diversity committee. Uh, and as I said, I'm Tony McVean. I'm the Hall & Wilcox managing partner. I've been in that role for over 15 years. Uh, I'm a supporter of women and I am the father to three children, two boys. Uh, and a girl, and I'm very much actively involved in parenting my kids. Okay, well, let's uh, start with thinking about how working in the law firm has changed over the years and, and changed certainly since Nat and Emma and I started at least. And maybe I'll start with you, Emma. Perhaps you could talk a bit about how, from your perspective, working at a large law firm is different from when you started. I think... I've been in practice, Tony, for um, nearly 30 years, and you'd expect that there would be change in that type of lapse of time. But if we look at it from a perspective of a woman working in a law firm, I think there's been an enormous amount of change. But in some ways, there's not enough because we're still talking about it. And when I started practicing 30 years ago, I really didn't expect that there would still have to be a conversation about it today so many years later. At that point in time, I thought I was going to change the world. Um, 30 years ago and make all the difference that needed to be made. Um, but the good news is that a lot of a lot of change has happened in that period. When I started, it was a very male-dominated practice and there wasn't even a conversation about that. I think that's really the significant difference over time that I've seen, that there was no discussion about the fact that there was such a difference in balance from a gender perspective, that the expectation is that you wouldn't continue to work if you had a family and, in fact, if you were working and you had a family, reality was that the opportunity wouldn't be there for you to progress in any way. So the, the conversation has continued over that period and change has happened. I think probably most significantly, in my view, would be in, the, say, the last five or 10 years that there's been such a great change in attitude and conversation. There's much more talk about balance. And there's talk about balance in a way that isn't 
the way it was when I first started hearing these conversations, which was that in order to get balance, that there had to be a loss to someone, that by women getting somehow uh, advantaged, that that was a disadvantage, perhaps a cohort of male people within legal practice. So I think there's been a lot of change around that conversation. So everything um, that I've seen has been positive, and definitely in, in the world of attracting and retaining staff, it's an absolute business imperative that you do have this conversation and you work really hard at it. So a lot's have changed, Tony, in, in a long time, but good stuff. Great. Thanks, Emma. Natalie, what about from your perspective, how has working in a law firm changed for you since when you started? In particular, what's better now than was the case when you started out as a young lawyer? You know, I've really been reflecting on this in the last couple of years because what's interesting for me is when I started as a young lawyer, I had little children. And now as a senior lawyer, I have little children again as a grandmother and I'm, I'm really involved. So I've had this interesting opportunity to see how it works in practice at two points in my career. And comparing them shows me enormous change. I mean, firstly, I had a really great principal in my first role he was very involved in parental duties and really understanding so he made life easier for me than it was for others nonetheless it sort of stood out it was unusual and he had to exercise understanding and tolerance and I was kind of a special case in that respect I don't think that's the case anymore with the women at our firm and I think what I what I see more broadly is it's really the way things are expected to be. We don't make exceptions for people, men and women, with children or any other sort of life responsibilities. We, um, as leaders and just general decent, generally decent people, work with those people to ensure all of our people have the right kind of experience working with us. So flexibility and balance are part of our DNA rather than special rules that we apply to special people at certain times of their career. I think the balance is kind of an interesting point. Balance was a really difficult thing to achieve and I reckon we expected that to mean people were always balancing work and other responsibilities. But these days there's more of an acknowledgement that it's like a seesaw I'm concentrating on work at the moment. I'm concentrating on family at the moment. I'm at a work meeting. I'm picking the kids up from school. We sort of launch from one to the other and we're much more comfortable with that approach as a society and as a business. Great. I agree uh, with your observations, Emma, and yours, Natalie, in my time in practice, almost 30 years as well. There's been huge change, I think, in how people work and in particular the opportunities for women. And even over the 12 years that I've been a, a father, there's been great change. I think I'm so much more able to be involved in my kids' life and so much more supportive of my wife, Amy, um, than I was able to be or perhaps I was prepared to be 12 years ago. Um, and I feel yeah, much more active as a father and as a husband, and, and that's been such a good thing and I think has kept me in practice. That said, though, there's no doubt that my wife still takes on more of the parental burden than I do. You know, she ends up working nine till three. I am often interstate and working late and out at events and things. I, 
I don't think it would work if she worked the same hours and had the same demands as me. So it makes me think that maybe there still is some way to go. So I'm interested, Barb, from your perspective, you're not new to the law, but haven't been around quite as long as Emma, Nat and me, you know, what do you reckon's changed and perhaps what still needs to change um, for there to be real equality uh, in law and legal practice? Well, I guess when, when I started, part-time was not something that was common and certainly non-existent for men. Um, and I, I think Daniel Stoddart says it quite often, things need to change for men for it to really change for women. And it goes to what you were saying too, Natalie. Um, and we are seeing more men take on part-time roles and it's not seen as something negative anymore. I think as a part-timer, I, I give plenty, if not more to the firm. I hope so anyway. Um, uh, I think we're good value and um, yeah, I think there's more uptake for part-time roles, which is which is great. And what do you think though needs to change? Uh, so um, on a journey, what, what do you yeah. think to focus on to continue to move the dial? Well, I think women need a seat at the table. Space needs to be made for women to be at the table. And I think Holland Wilcox does an excellent job at that. Excellent that Emma is the first female chair of Holland Wilcox. We have great diversity in the partnership, um, but I, th I think we need to show women that it is possible and to encourage, to actively encourage women um, to take on leadership roles. What do others think? I mean, observation I would make is that we've been pretty good at our firm and I think in other good firms, uh, progressing uh, young people and especially females into partnership and leadership roles, but then it can be a real struggle for those people often females are still the main carer and we have lots of newer partners who are finding the juggle just too much and they're finding that they're being pulled in all directions um, and they don't think that they're doing anything well and, and some are thinking look I just can't do this it's just too hard uh, so it makes me think well okay how can we still provide better support and um, you know better help people succeed when they're in those leadership roles you know, what do others think? What else do we need to work on and how can we improve? So as you say, Emma, we're not having this conversation in another 30 years. <laughs> I reckon a good start, Tony, is, is probably a couple of, pick up a couple of things that people have said around the fact that we need to have strong leadership from our male counterparts. And mm -hmm. you demonstrate that. I'm not trying to just talk you up because you're sitting right there. But the reality is by doing what you do, which is take an active role and support and encourage women like myself um, into leadership positions. And that signals to people that that is, is possible. I don't, and, and I think that's really important that we demonstrate to others that this is the way that it should be. And you as a leader do that very well. And yeah, sure, it's not perfect. And, and I don't think seeking perfection is the way to go because that's, you're only ever going to be disappointed. The reality is that you can't have it all whoever says that they're completely wrong but what you need to do is to be comfortable and happy that you're trying your very best to to get where you want to be and I think supporting people in that journey is what we need to do and recently we've just had one of our male lawyers return from a period of parental leave to support his wife returning to work after the second child took two months off to help them manage that transition for their family and he did that because of the communication that he sees in this business around that subject and how it was actively encouraged 
and how we have regular posts on our internal channels about supporting people in that way and, and how it's accepted. So going to Barb's point, it's, it's, it's accepted, it's, it's encouraged. I think that's where we've got to start. But every time I see one of our men go on parental leave, I celebrate because I think the more that occurs, the more we see a shift in society with the sharing of the domestic load and that helps and that sends a great message. I mean, just the fact that we have paid parental leave in the first place is a massive, is a massive change. It's amazing. We should have it. It was long overdue. And using language like parental leave instead of maternity leave and really encouraging this to be a people issue and not a woman's issue, I think helps to affect sort of gradual change. That's really great. And it does sound like we have made lots of progress in our firm and I think generally in the profession and the legal sector. But then to be the devil's advocate, looking at the stats uh, amongst Australia's top 50 law firms, of which we are one, the um, appointment of women to partnership slumped to its lowest rate in three years, most recently. We still have a, gen a big gender pay gap in firms, including for like, for like roles. Uh, I think there's something like 60% of our law graduates are women, but only 32% across the profession are partners. So there, there's clearly still some work to be done. When you look at this, Anne, and, and you think about your progression, hopefully, into partnership, and what observations would you make? Where do you think we need to do more work? Um, I think it's more, I mean, I know that this is an old adage, but I don't think you can be what you can't see. And so I think the reason that there is a gap there is I think we're doing an enormous work in bringing people into the profession. I think we're doing great work in building up their skill sets and allowing them to have flexible working arrangements. Um, but I think there is just a natural overturn that will hopefully occur in the, in the next few years um, where we have people coming in because they have seen, you know, like at the moment, there are still quite a lot of males at partnership and senior level. As we start to introduce more women, I think it makes it more accessible. And I don't, and I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. I think it's just a timing issue and being able to, as you know, Nat and Emma have said, if you can see it and you are fostering it, um, then I think over time, um, people will be able to, you know, believe that that's something that they can achieve themselves so I just think it's a you know there are things that we can absolutely be doing but I also think it's just about you know um, allowing for people to to come up and to to want to actually take on those roles because they see that they've got the access to the support and the flexibility that they need to be able to do it well. I, th I was just going to say Tony that um, I think Anne sounds a lot more patient than I was at that stage in my career um, and I was wondering whether anybody felt that time is enough and whether more proactive steps need to be taken. There's been lots of talk over my career around quotas and, and actually proactively pro promoting women. But going back to what I was saying earlier, that creates the sense that it's to the disadvantage of others. So I was uh, I'm kind of interested in that yeah. aspect of things, and, Anne. And I can add to that question, I mean, and whether there are biases, whether conscious or un unconscious, still at play. So we had a partners conference Last week, we had a fabulous array of presenters. One of our presenters, really highly regarded, fantastic presentation, but that person talked about how part-timers cost you money. Now, I think most of us called BS on that and it wasn't really accepted by anyone, but there's still that view that's prevalent. You know, having people part-time costs you money as a business. So yeah, how do we shift those biases you know, and, and how can we perhaps move a bit more quickly uh, than we have been? 
Well, as, as a part-timer, I add value to the firm by both financially and um, in terms of the culture of the firm. And I do believe that the work environment and culture that Hall & Wilcox has and promotes levels the playing field between part-timers and full-timers. I can re recall coming back from parental leave with my first child at another firm and there were strict guidelines about what part-timers could do. There were minimum days you had to be in the office to justify the office space that was reserved for you. So with open plan working, and now as we've progressed to hot desking, um, that disparity between part-timers and full-timers, I think is felt less. Chomping at the bit with this question, I love this question. I've had the benefit, you know, I think, in my grad year, there were more than 50% women and everyone thought, this is fine, like just wait, we'll all get through. But actually the numbers at the top have not really changed that dramatically. So I reckon the strategy of time, it's not, well, it's not really a strategy, just letting time pass has not proven yeah, enough. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think it's alone enough. Um, yeah, I really support targets, quotas, really just doing doing something about it you know I think we achieved great change in our leadership when the board made a decision to have more women at the table and like actively went about recruiting I think asking women to put their hands up and I think I was the only woman on the board at one point and once there were three voices I just felt so much more comfortable and yeah. changed dramatically so, yeah, I think we need to be asking the questions. Um, so it, it's about time. I think there is a time element, but I think as the time passes, we need to be actively challenging the dialogue around it. So it's not just about sitting there doing nothing, but I think we need to be asking, you know, what, what makes, you know, what are those biases, as you've said, Tony, that might sit there unconsciously that are preventing people from doing what they, you know, from creating a degree of equality across the industry so asking really you know simple questions challenging it um, an example that I always sort of think of and it's not in the um, the women's space but more generally you know like have you ever thought about how people in wheelchairs access things on the top shelf of the supermarket and universally people are like oh no I haven't and it's like yeah because it doesn't apply to you so if we're constantly asking the questions constantly challenging that idea of well you know, what is it that we could be doing to make it easier for women or making it easier to reach that top shelf, you know, for want of a better analogy, then those are, those are, that's how we generate change. So, it, yeah, I mean, it is the passing of time, but it's also making sure that we are constantly looking at every process that we have, um, everything that we are doing and going, is there anything in here that we could be changing or is there anything that is restrictive or more difficult for not just women, but everybody across our organisation to be able to access equally? Such a great answer, Anne. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Barb, can I ask you, you're a senior lawyer, you manage a team, and I do think a lot about how we can support leaders in your situation, men and women, but it, it tends to especially be women, because in my role, I end up having lots of conversations with newish partners who are also parents and or carers of some sort, and they are just finding it so hard. And they're often saying, look, I just can't do this anymore. It's too much. You know, I feel unsupported. You know, so what can we do to make it manageable for people? No one's asking for it to be easy. You know, being a partner in a law firm is a hard job. 
being a parent's a hard job, but people need it for it to be manageable and sustainable. You know, are there, are there more things that we can do to help people be their best? That's a tough question, Tony. And from, I mean, speaking through my like my lens, um, the firm really does provide me the tools in order to balance best as I can my responsibilities at work and at home. And the balance does shift occasionally. You know, sometimes I'm more work, sometimes I'm more home. But the systems in place for me are, are meeting my needs. So I'm not the right person to ask. I'm sorry. <laughs> so do you think, do you think, Bob, that's because of the approach that we've taken around um, flexible working? Is yeah. that as a result of just um, the culture that we have? Yeah, it's it's a combination of things. It's the culture. Um, everyone respects people's commitments outside of work, whether that is children, elderly parents. It, it's not just restricted um, to females with responsibilities outside of work. It's the the technology Hall and Wilcox offers. I can work from anywhere, like I am in the office, um, which is a, a huge benefit. And I mean, just the people, um, I can lean on my colleagues um, if I am stretched or in a bind. Yeah, the, the culture at Hall and Wilcox is just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's- Less about, sorry, maybe making it less about Hall and Wilcox. I think absolutely a, a culture in the profession and in the world now of working flexibly, using technology, yeah, yeah making sort of work-life blend happen has been a great thing for everyone and, and has to be a, a really um, positive thing for the progression of women and carers. Just on from that, those firms that haven't been able to adapt is where you see particularly women moving away and creating their own table, their own law firms, so that they can work in a way that provides that balance. Yeah, I'm, I am going to go all out and say that I, I'm not creating my own law firm, but I am definitely, um, and I don't have children, but I'm definitely one of, I think I am one of those people that was previously um, under the, and I'm going to call it an illusion because I think it is an illusion if we work hard enough for it, but I was under the false illusion that I couldn't have the life that I wanted to have if I wanted to be a partner and have a family. I just didn't think that it was possible. I because And this goes back to the concept of when I looked up, none of the people that were immediately above me and in, in you know other organizations were people I wanted to be I don't I didn't want any of their lives I was like that's not how I want to live and I think um you know and this isn't about singing just Hall and Wilcox's praises I think more generally if you can get into an organization where you can look around and go it's not just words it is people actively living out on a day-to-day -day basis this balance this flexibility where it's not you know people aren't just saying oh we work flexibly it is people saying I'm leaving at two o'clock to go pick my kids up and I'm not going to be online until five o'clock. And then you actually cannot contact them for the next three hours. Um, it is, you know, there is some real um, benefits to being able to see that lived out and, and what that means, I think, in terms of attracting the right people um, and, and making people believe that, you know, you can, you can't have it all, but you can have it all in the right amount of components, you know. Right. You've, got to, you've got to go beyond us then, haven't we? Um, and because we're a, a service organisation servicing people in other organisations or other business. So what we need is for that to be 
reproduced, compounded in, in society. So we need that true societal change that there's this idea that you're living to work or working to live. And, and if our clients are accepting and understanding because their people are equally making the same demands on them, then we'll see that true change and it will stop having this conversation. Yeah, I think that's right. And you, you talk about role models and the importance of role models. I'm interested in uh, what others think about that, Natalie and, and, and Emma, how important role models have been for you in your careers. You're now absolutely role models for others. And Barb and Anne, you know, how important role models are for you as your careers progress. Maybe Nat, start with you. Well, I, I think in the first sentence in this podcast, I talked about my principal um, in my first job as a lawyer, Rob Jamison. Shout out to Rob. He was great. He was a great role model. Um, a man who was really involved in his family, just a great person. And he gave me opportunities. If there was an opportunity in the firm, he put me forward for it. He gave me confidence. Um, he gave me access to great work. Really, he created an environment that was fantastic to work in. And I loved it. And it cemented my passion for the law. So I've always tried to model myself on him with others. I don't know how successfully, but I, you know, I try really hard to create that same environment for those around me. It, it's imperative to have a good role model. That's great. It's nice that you try and be how Rob was, and I think you are. Emma, what about from your perspective? Well, I think it's it's really similar, and, it, and it's kind of interesting just to think about that because it, just like Natalie, I had um, very strong support early on in my career from male partners and, and senior people within the organisation that I started my legal career in. And they were very supportive and actively encouraged me to um, progress within that organisation. And equally, when I've joined Hall and Wilcox 18 years ago, I have been strongly supported. So maybe we've both just been, been lucky and that has resulted in us modelling that behaviour. But um, I don't really believe in luck. I believe that there's preparation and opportunity. And I think the preparation was that um, obviously experiencing that early on in a career and then fostering it and preparing to pass that knowledge on to others. So I think having, and it goes back to what Anne was saying, if you look up and you see people doing and working in that way, that you're going you're gonna to live that yourself. Female role, role models must also be really important, Barb and Anne, don't you think? Yeah, oh, definitely. I, um, for a number of years, worked for a female, wasn't partner, but she was, was special counsel at the time, and she had a family at home. She was part-time, and she really let me look in um, to the difficulties she was facing. She was honest with me. Her day off was her day off and showed me that the juggle was difficult but achievable, um, which gave me, I guess, the courage to do the same. And I try to do that with my team. I'm honest with them about what I'm doing, where I'm going. If it's uh, a bit of a struggle, I'll, I'll tell them that too. What about for you, Anne? Have you had female role models and how important is that from your perspective? I have, but I've had the benefit of working um, for a female partner um, as well. So I've had a mix of male and female partners. And I think, um, and this is not to downplay, you know, who I have or haven't worked for, but I think it just comes down to the support that you have more generally. I've seen, um, and not necessarily the, the woman that I worked for, but I've seen female partners do a really terrible job of being able to, um, like they may be balancing it within their 
own circle, but it doesn't look like that. Like it looks like they are still working, you know, at all hours and, you know, and it's not, it, you know, they don't create that visibility that you need. And I've seen men who leave loudly, who, or even if they're still sitting at their desk, they're talking about like, oh, like I'm so lucky because my, you know, like you did earlier, Tony, like my wife is finishing at three o'clock and I'm not sure if we could necessarily achieve this if um, she wasn't doing that. So opening the door to situations where people acknowledge that there is a balance. So I think role models, super, super important. Um, I don't think they necessarily have to be female though. I think it's just about having people that have the right that are sending the right message, showing you the right things and giving you the right support. That's right. that's so true. Yeah. It's quite the responsibility being considered to be a role model though. Because <laughs> the reality is that you you have to stand out in that way. And you and you you can't keep your you have to keep your eye on the ball. You can't keep your, you know, take your eye off it at any moment because of that opportunity to help people progress and learn. So it's it is a responsibility. Yeah, but we learn yeah. through our mistakes as well, you know, like as in if we own our mistakes and go, you know what, I didn't get that right. And I mean, I'm sure the, the mothers and, and, and you, Tony, in the group, like I, I'm not a parent, but I'm sure there are times where you go, look, I'm really sad I didn't get to that award ceremony for my children, or I'm really sad that I had to miss that BD event. Like you're never going to get it right. But if we can demonstrate to our staff um, and our colleagues that sometimes you're not going to be able to do it all, but you you know, if we own those mistakes and we we take the wins and we take the losses, then I mean, I, I think that's what's encouraging. Like, I don't expect to be able to be, you know, ultimately and hopefully one day this perfect mother and this perfect employee. Like, I'll some days I'll be one and some days I'll be the other. Some days I'll be mediocre at both. Um, I know, I know at least for my the, the partner I work for, I know that's okay. I hope that makes me feel so much better, Anne, because I find <laughs> myself having to apologise all the time for those are those times when I don't role model perfectly. Um, or when I'm just not getting all the pieces to work properly. And I find having the discussion, it certainly makes me feel better to have the discussion with my team and say, I don't think I did that very well for these reasons. You know, feel free to feel free to point out when I'm not doing well enough. Um, because it is scary to be a role model, to, to have responsibility for people. And but yeah, I think you're right. We just have to do our best and keep at it and when we get it wrong, acknowledge it, do better next time. It's messy sometimes, isn't it? Yes. And we have to compromise all of the time. And if we don't expect to be compromising, we're going to be unhappy. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think if you if you believe in that you're going to get perfection, um, you're going to be sad. And if you're comfortable with compromise. Yeah, life's messy sometimes. So, and maybe back to you, when you think about the future of law, and the next generation and your future uh, in the law, which is a super bright future, um, what would you like to see? And, and do you have any other thoughts or suggestions that you'd like to share? I have thought about this a lot, just generally um, in my ruminations. And I would like to see a situation where we're not, where it's, and I use the term full integration in the way that I'm a bit of an analogy person, so I'm gonna go off again, but, um, I feel like there, were, there was a time um, when technology wasn't part of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, like we were writing letters by hand, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure there would have been some resistance at some point to the integration of computers and, and having a mobile phone that has means that you're accessible all of the time. But over time, we have asked the questions, we've introduced them, we've workshopped whether or not they're working. Every time there's been red tape or problems, we've gone back to them and gone, how can we do this better from a technology point of view? And I think if we 
superimpose that onto how we work as people and go, what do we, you know, how do we get to a point where there is ultimate diversity and there are there are no barriers and we've got this full integration of people working somewhat seamlessly. We're never going to get it perfect. But if we keep sort of doing what we've done to to integrate, you know, if we think of it's probably a little bit rudimentary, but if we think about the introduction of greater diversity and a, a greater increase of um, like equity between, you know, like all all people in firms, if we keep workshopping it the way that we workshopped the introduction of technology, asking what's wrong, keep looping back, can we be doing this better? Is there a better way to be doing this? Um, I think getting to a level where it is yet fully integrated is what I would like to see, where it's no longer, like we don't ask questions, like we don't go, oh, how amazing is email these days? It's just is. And one day I would like to think that we are sitting there with, you know, males, females, you know, everybody at the table um, because it just is. And we're no longer sitting there having these discussions because it just, yeah, we, we've, you know, it's not going to be perfect. Technology in our business isn't perfect, but, you know, getting to that level is what I hope. Thanks, Anne. That's great. What about from your perspective, Barb, what do you think uh, needs to change or what are your hopes for the future? And, and you know, think big picture, you know, what, what's a big intervention that could really help move the dial now? I think you might have to go to the next person, Tony, because I'm, <laughs> I'm pulling a blank. What do you think then, Nat? You're good at thinking big picture. <laughs> well, a couple of things. Firstly, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a family. I think workplaces are the modern day equivalent of a village. We are a village. We're surrounded with people who we see day in or day out and they're really critical. And I think we need to work harder to harness the kind of power of that village. And you might, I can see you're wondering where I'm going with this, Tony. But what I mean is in terms of buying power, you know, we've got in the immediate team around me, there are currently four parents with children and they all take their kids out to different childcare centres, different school holiday programs. Um, they're all facing their own challenges. If they worked together or if the workplace worked together, I think we could solve more problems. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of integrated care options for workplaces. Mm -hmm. Having school holiday programs um, in a workplace, I think would be hugely helpful. Having people cooperate around childcare, school holiday care would work really well. So seeing us more as a village of people who can solve problems for members of the village rather than everyone having to answer the same issues on their own. Wow. That could lead to real change. Yeah. What do you think, Emma? Um, I think I like what Anne was saying about hoping not to have a conversation like this. As she said, I certainly don't think I'm going to be here in another 30 years, but I'd, I'd like to see us to be in a position that we're there. How we get there is a combination of much of what we've talked about today is maintaining culture maintaining conversation but I think the only way that the dial is really going to move quick enough for me is more proactive intervention I think in reality I think we're very good at it as has been discussed already that we do we are active and we do promote and we've taken genuine steps towards equality within our business but I think we're going to have to just push it a bit further we're going to have to make sure that we, um, as I said before, don't take our eye off it and become complacent with our own 
success and reality is that the only way that I can see us not having this conversation even in say 10 years is to move and push harder. I'll Thanks, add on to that now because I do have a thought. Um, so beyond, beyond what everyone has suggested, um, I do see that there will be a natural progression just due to the, I have to say, parenting techniques that we now implement with our own children. The messaging I was given as a child is very different to what I'm giving my children now. You can achieve anything, you can be anything. And as those children come through with the foundations that we're building now, I think there will be a natural progression for the equality and equity uh, within firms. Thanks, Barb. Does anyone have any final thoughts they'd like to share before we finish this conversation? You know, I think I think having businesses take more responsibility for the whole lifespan of a person's career can be really helpful. And if you, as our firm has, so we've introduced a program where we have dedicated coaching and assisted career development at key points in a person's career, often if they're going on parental leave and returning, so that a person gets an opportunity to really think and plan how those turning points in their life may impact their career development, what it means for them, what it means for their team, helping them to have discussions with those around them about what that life turning point means and developing solutions that allow them to have the flexibility or the create the lifestyle that is conducive to their longevity as a person in that organisation is really key. So our new, uh, we call it Grace Papers. I'm not actually sure why it's called Grace Papers, but it is a program that helps people to really understand key turning points in their life and negotiate with, with themselves, with their family, and with the business environment about how that will affect them and how they can work through that. The aim is that we help keep those people that we've been losing, hemorrhaging for years at a particular point in their career where it all gets too hard and they just say, I just, I can't do this. I'm, the balance is not working. The seesaw is out of control. How do we help them to write that um, and create a more sustainable lifestyle for themselves? All right, then. Thank you all for joining me today and thanks everyone for listening. As always, please get in touch with us if you have any questions. You can find our details on our website, www.allandwilcox.com.au or make contact with us on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, then rate, review or follow our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.